You're listening to Kill Cliff's Hazard Ground Podcast with service members from across the military sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week. Before we get started with this week's episode, which is another tale of a Gold Star spouse who lost her husband after 21 years in the Navy as a Navy SEAL and in special operations. We'll get to that in just a moment. But as usual, our reminders for you guys, our homework, so to speak, please continue to give us Apple reviews. However you get your Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and a review. Give us five stars. Tell us why you like the show. This will continue to help grow the Hazard Ground community. Apple will push us towards the top of the top podcasts, and naturally we'll just start to get more of a bigger audience. And that's honestly the most important thing as we continue to tell all of these stories like the ones you'll hear today. Uh, It's super important that we can continue to grow the Hazard Ground community. So please leave us a short review wherever you get your Apple Podcasts. You can do it right there on your smartphone and we certainly appreciate it. As well, follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hazard Ground and Hazard Ground Podcast. Easy to find. Communicate with us that way. Give us guest suggestions. Uh, tell us what you like about the show there as well. We love communicating with you guys. We love hearing from you guys. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us and follow us on social media. Don't forget to follow us up on our YouTube channel as well. Subscribe there or download the Killcliff TV app. And if you're watching this Uh, on YouTube or on the Kill Cliff TV app. Obviously, you can see the video portions of these podcasts there as well. Finally, our promotion with Amazon on our website, hazardground.com. Please go to our website and click on the Amazon button at the bottom of the homepage or under the Sponsors tab. And once you do that, you'll be redirected to Amazon. You can do all of your normal Amazon shopping, whatever you want to buy, and we will get a percentage of what you guys spend, and then we donate a percentage of that back to some of the great charities and organizations that you've heard featured here on the, the Hazard Ground, including the one that you will hear coming up here shortly. Also works from your smartphone, by the way. If you just go to hazardground.com on your smartphone, it'll redirect you right to the app. So it's really convenient if you have all your credit card information saved, a very easy way to help out veterans just by doing some Amazon shopping. But go to hazardground.com first. Joining us this week is a Gold Star spouse and a proud daughter of a military veteran. Her husband, Chad Wilkinson, spent 21 years in the Navy as a SEAL uh, throughout his entire special operations career. He died by suicide on October 29, 2018, due to the after effects of blast wave injuries, TBI, and PTSD. And that is a cause that she is now taking up uh, to further for not only SEALs, not only special operations people, but everybody throughout the military. And we welcome Sarah Wilkinson to the Hatter Ground podcast. Sarah, welcome. And thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. These, these uh, are always just powerful episodes and very tough. And so, again, from the beginning, I... I I, I am so grateful for your grace and your gratitude and your, your ability to, to tell this because it never gets easier for you. I, I can't even imagine your shoes and what it's like to live a day in your life without your husband and to have your kids without their father. And, and it's just incredibly sad. But um, there, there is so much value in hearing about Chad and his story. So, um, you know, it, it's it's I know it won't be easy, but again, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Um well, there's a lot we want to learn about Chad, uh, obviously. But, you know, being married to a SEAL, you were actually kind of set up for this, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the proud daughter of a military veteran. So the military lifestyle wasn't anything new to you growing up, correct? No, no, not at all. I mean, I was born into it. So my dad being a Marine, this is the only life I know. <laughs> uh, men in uniform and standing for the American flag. It's, it's how I was raised. 
Did you ever think that you wanted to marry somebody in the military growing up as a young girl, or are you kind of like running away from that? It never really crossed my mind either way. You know, I met Chad when I was so young. I met him when I was 13. So uh, it was never a goal, but because I met him so young, it, the, the thought was always, I just wanted to be wherever he was. So at 13 kind of organically happened. Yeah. Right, so tell me that story. Uh, yeah, just um, first day of high school. So we were military kids, went to a military high school, met him the first day in gym class. And pretty much was smitten from the moment I first saw him. So we went to a pretty small school and you got to imagine a 13 year old girl that has to dress out in a PE uniform. And they used to line us up by last name. And uh, my maiden name fell right in front of his last name. Ah. So we'd have to like stretch and it was super embarrassing. I was always just trying to look really cool and impress him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you remember telling your parents about him the first time you met him, your mom or your dad? Oh, yeah. They knew about this boy named Chad and I doodled his name on my notebook and he gave me a ride home from school one day. I was not allowed to ride in the car with other people, but I went ahead and said, yeah. Um, Funny, when he asked me to homecoming, uh, my mom used to drive me to and from school before I could drive. We didn't live far and we got in the car that afternoon and she said, you're going to need to tell me more about this boy that wants to take you to homecoming. And at that moment, it's a two lane road and this beat up Oldsmobile swings around my mom and passes her on like a double yellow. Uh And I was like, well, that's him. That's him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not making a good Um, first impression, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I thought about that. I thought about that memory recently and laughed, so it's funny. That's crazy. Yeah. So wait, when he asked you the homecoming, like you talk about like junior or senior year of high school? Or is this like uh, when you were in middle school? I was a sophomore. Okay. I was a sophomore. So yeah. he, was was he older than you? He was a year older. Okay. Yeah, I was All a sophomore, right. he was a junior. So when we met I was a freshman, he was a sophomore. Mm-hmm. So early nineties. What'd your dad 91. think of him when he first met him? Um my dad's tough. He's strict, (laughs) but he also knew that I was pretty smitten. So I think I was trying to calm him down and say, you know, can you just please be cool and not mess this up for me? (laughs) Was was Chad intimidated by your father? No, I don't think so. His dad was in the military. Uh So I think, you know, he was used to strict rules Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Except for the driving rules. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, do you realize you passed my mom? (laughs) He's like, oh, my bad. So, so, oh, that's great. Um, so as you guys were going through high school, you know, I mean, look, high school puppy love kind of deal and everything else. But um, when you guys were graduating, did you immediately have plans for the future for each other? I mean, did you kind of know or were you on divergent paths at that point? It's funny. I had a conversation with my daughter today about this. Um No, we really didn't have this long term plan. It was just I just wanted to be wherever he was one thing I always said to him is wherever you go, I go. I since have had that tattooed on me here. Um, that was just kind of how it was. I just, I just wanted to be wherever he was. So, so what were his yeah. plans then after high school? Especially since he was a year in front of you, so he was graduating earlier. Like you couldn't totally. Leave. Yeah, his his plan was to always be a seal. So his dad and really? his uncle were both seals. He wanted to be a seal from the time he was a young kid. He's the oldest of four. He has two brothers and a sister. Um, And he just always wanted to be a SEAL. So his plan was to go to college and then go to Bud's. 
Uh, but at the time, it wasn't going to work for him to come in as an officer. So he only went to one year of college, left early once he learned that, and went straight to Bud's. So did and, you, when he told you he wanted to be a SEAL, like what was your reaction as a high school kid? To be totally fair, I didn't even know what they were. Yeah, I was going to ask you. <laughs> did, you um, did you ask your dad, like, Dad, what's a SEAL? Well, I had to, you know, his youth was filled with, I mean, his room had like posters up. He has every like classic movie on VHS. You have to realize it was 90s. Yeah, I, um, I lived it too, so we, Sarah. Don't worry about it. I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we spent time, you know, watching movies and talking with his brothers and his dad. But when I first met him, I had, you know, my dad was a Marine and I was a young girl. I had no idea what a Navy SEAL was. Um, but then even when he told me, I didn't see any sort of, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't scared. Maybe it was the military kid in me. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So you'll go do that. Go ahead. Didn't, didn't really think it was a big deal. <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> unfortunately time. for me growing up, the seals were circus animals and Christmas stamps, you know, Christmas seals. Yeah. So uh, that was about yeah. it. Um, yeah. When did you guys, when, when did you graduate high school? Like what time frame? I graduated in 95. Okay. So you're the same so age he, as me. So we graduated in the yeah. same time. So he was a year old. So, all right. So he goes off to enlist in the Navy um, right after graduation. Are you following him? Yeah, I mean, we had some breakups in there. There were two breakups in our history. And but, they're all his uh, fault, I assume, right? Of course they are. <laughs> um, no, they they were definitely my fault, I think. Really? Just, you know, well, we, we, we dated long distance, so yeah. no one did anything wrong. No one cheated on anyone or anything like that. It was just we lived really far apart, dated long distance. So um, we were actually not together when he went through Bud's. Oh, wow. And I stayed in contact with his family and his sister. Um, and then I knew when he was coming home after graduating, Bud. So I took some time off work in the hopes of him asking to see me, which he did. Oh. It all worked out. Um, and then we also, most of our relationship when we were, before we were married was long distance. Because afterwards he ended up going to SEAL Team 8, which is based on the East Coast. So mm-hmm. You know, for anyone listening, the even number teams are on the East Coast and the odd numbers are on the West Coast. Um, and I was going to the University of Florida. So he would just be doing his SEAL team stuff. And if he was home, not on a trip, he would leave on Friday and drive 14 hours to the University of Florida for the weekend and see me on Saturday. And then he would turn around and he'd drive back on Sunday. Chomp, chomp. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um... Gainesville, huh? Uh, that's uh, that's amazing. So, when uh, all this is going on throughout the, the college, are you at the point right now where like you're all in, committed? This is the guy I'm going to marry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Does he There's... know that? Uh, I think so. <laughs> I mean, he's it's driving 14 hours every other him, day, but... so you know, I mean, I, there is a certain right. level of commitment, whether he wanted to realize it or not. Yeah, I think I think we just both knew that we were going to be together. We just had to do our, you know, commitments and stuff first. So sure. Um, yeah. All right. So you like me then? Uh, if you were on time, graduated in '99 from Florida, right? I was not on time. Okay. Right. I took some time off. I moved up to Virginia Beach mm-hmm. to live with him for mm-hmm. a semester and a bunch of team guys in a townhouse. That must have um, been a blast. Let me tell you. It was some of the, it was great shock. memories. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, really great memories. Um, not, no, so you yeah, don't sound I, like you're being facetious about that. Like you actually look like you enjoyed it. 
No, I absolutely loved it. Really? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I mean, you know, these yeah. are guys who like get drunk and put their head through a wall because they're bored. You know, I mean, it's, it's they do. Yeah. And they that was absolutely fun for you. do. But um, yeah, all of our roommates were they're all wonderful guys. It was great. I was super young. You know, we just hung out and went and drank beer on the weekends. Yeah. And, and even if Chad was on a work trip, one of the guys probably wasn't. So it wasn't like I was home alone. Right. And I felt super safe and there was always something happening that was funny. So it was, it's a really good memory for it's, me. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't want to call BS on you, but it, it's, I think it's almost endearing how you try to normalize, you know, that lifestyle for those guys and what they do. Cause they train hard and they party even harder. And so there's yeah. always some mischievous behavior going on and you say it, but so nonchalant, like oh, I was just a couple of guys living in a house. Like you're talking to somebody who understands what those couple of guys are capable of. So uh, I'm glad you were able to handle it for the sake of our audience. I mean, you're, if, especially if you're watching, yeah. watching the podcast, as opposed to listening to it, you, you, you clearly look like you were able to handle it, but uh, that's not a, a typical environment. Most people would stay in for an extended period of time. No, probably not. I don't know how long we would really last. I think <laughs> we lived there about six months. Um, and it was, yeah, I don't know. It was just really great. Sure. Where yeah. are you guys on 9-11? So we were married. Um, oh, so, okay. So then, well, I, I skipped a step. I assume that, you know, you, 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 there was a, a college graduation and stuff and before we did all that. Okay, go ahead. No, we actually, so because I took some time off and then I went back to, I did an internship for my degree in Virginia Beach and then I had to go back and graduate. This is right before Chad deployed. And I also, and we had gotten married uh, in this time. I also found out I was pregnant. So we'd gotten married. I found out I was pregnant and I was walking at graduation with a lot of morning sickness. So mm. that's in 2000. Our daughter was born August, 2001. Oh, wow. uh, we bought our first home, had her brought her back to this new home. We lived in, in Virginia beach. And then nine 11 happened uh, about a month after she was born. Wow. So we'd only lived in our, our, our first home about three months. And, um, you know, we just passed the anniversary and I've talked with many people, as you probably have too. it's you recall exactly where you were that day. It's sure, yeah. that time in history that everybody can just recall exactly what happened. And my daughter was a newborn. She was swaddled in the living room. I was cleaning um, and just doing housekeeping stuff. When you saw it on the news, Chad was at work. He was home. He wasn't gone. But and I kept trying to call him and I couldn't get the phone call to come through and he came home in his PT, you know, shorts and T-shirt and just kind of looked at me like, what is happening? And I don't even think at that time, even with my military background, being a military kid, that I could really comprehend. even comprehend. Yeah. yeah, like how not only how it would change the world, but how it would impact your life. Yeah. Someone like us, our life mm -hmm. serving in the military. Yeah. Uh, just to put the, the heavy events on pause, uh, the hopeless romantic in me is genuinely curious about how he proposed. <laughs> he proposed in the swamp. So if anybody is a Florida fan out there, the okay. Florida Gators, yeah. the stadium is called the swamp. And at the very top, just below one of the scoreboards is this platform. It's where, yep. you know, back in the day, the guy with the video camera used to stand, um, and we walked up there because he was visiting me one weekend and he proposed there. So 
not during a game or no, anything. No, there was, I was gonna say, nothing but, happening. Right. But uh, yeah, I assume it hit all the right notes for for a Florida Gator fan to do it right there. Yeah, it worked for me. I mean, I just I just wanted to be married to him, so I don't. <laughs> he could have just like he passed it to me on the couch. It probably would have been fine. But oh, okay. Um, Again, my 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 uh, childhood notions of romance have uh, officially gone out the window. But that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So, okay. So the, the world changes on nine eleven. I mean, literally, like you said, you know, you don't realize the level of impact it would have. Does Chad realize that like, Hey, I'm out the door here shortly. You know, I don't know. He, he probably had a better understanding than I did mm-hmm. just being a guy and being in this job and right. knowing more of just the history and everything. He, he probably predicted that. I don't really remember talking to him about it. Um, when is his first deployment then? He'd already done first well, deployment. Okay, let me rephrase. I, when is his first deployment in the war on terror? I mean, obviously, the, those guys, yeah. the, the Special Operations Committee deploys all over the world nonstop. But there wasn't a sense of impending doom about those deployments, right? Like like the war on terror ones were. Right. At the time, he uh, was at kind of like a training detachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was not deployable. So when our daughter was born, she was born really sick and she had to have open heart surgery. And that was also the same time Chad had done a couple deployments and used that opportunity to do what the military calls a shore duty billet, which means you take kind of more or less a desk job. And that's what he was doing. And he was going to school at night. Uh, But fast forward, he did deploy. um, I'd have to look back because I, I want to say it was again in 2002, but it definitely wasn't immediate. Right. Okay. Um, so are you feeling trepidation about the whole thing more than before? Or does your previous military background with your dad sort of give you this sense of this is just the life we have? Yeah, I, I don't know if this is going to surprise people, but I wasn't. I was just kind of like, this is where we're at. Um, you know, my dad served a full career, 26 years as a Marine. And I think he was gone for at least a year with Desert Storm. Yeah. And for me, this was a little bit kind of like normal, obviously not just a constant state of war. I, I didn't foresee this 20 years later, but um, just having him gone and, and quote, fight the enemy, it's, it's, it's what he signed up to do. So right. I had kind of come to terms that like, this is what, this is exactly what he wants to do. So I he's going to go do it. At this point, how much do you understand about, you know, the Navy SEAL job and the level of danger that they're in and what they are asked to do? I mean, again, you know, in the context, you just had a daughter, the world just changed. You bought your first home. You're sort of beginning the first part of your adult life and all the things that you have trained <laughs> For 20 plus yeah. years for it to, to, to have on your own. And so, you know, do you understand what Chad is getting into on a routine basis when he's downrange? No, so, not at he, that so point. he doesn't no. tell I me mean, you don't really have he never had conversations with you about, hey, what seals do and this is who we are and everything else. No, never curious. Really to ask. I know that's going to like people are going to be like, what? The no, heck? It's, but um, we that's just not how we did things. Chad was super, super private. He's just a private person in general. Obviously, he was the most open with me. But we always kind of, from the very beginning of a SEAL career, kind of lived it like 
you're going to do your thing. And if you want it, I always told him, you know, if you want to talk about anything, I'm here. But that whole term quiet professional that you hear people talk right. about, mm-hmm. he, he, he was very steadfast to that. Um, which could have been completely his downfall to be totally honest. Um, I, I don't want to speak too so, far ahead, but why, why do you say that was his downfall because of everything that happened after after the fact. Because everything that happened yeah, after, okay. and there's there's so many things that he didn't tell me, and there's other wives that know a whole lot more than I know, and is that because they asked more questions? Is that because their significant other was just more open and forthcoming? Is that, you know, these are the questions you're left with when someone dies by suicide. The yeah. questions are never ending, but um, yeah, he just didn't get into a lot of detail with me, and I'd like to think sitting here in this position now years later he just everyone says he just wanted to protect you you know he didn't want you to worry etc etc but um you know i would generally have an idea of where he was if he had to go out like on missions or something he would generally call me and he would say i love you very much and i'll call you when i can and when he would say that then i knew that he was going out and i didn't know when i would hear from him your heart doesn't skip a beat when you hear that uh, well, years later, once he got to damn neck, yeah, that was miserable. Okay. <laughs> um, so, cause that's when you start to realize like, okay, like sh- shit's going down, yeah. you know, you know, something is really happening. Yeah. So uh, you get through this first deployment in 2002, I think you said it was downrange. Um, do you have a sense at that point, how routine deployments are going to be for you and how much you sort of end up being a single mom? not exactly what you bargained for. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, we had hit this point where, uh, so 2003, he was gone and he came home and we, we always thought we'd win a lot of kids. Um, he's oldest of four. I'm the youngest of two. We always thought we'd have four kids. When we had our daughter, we were kind of like one and done. I like to call Hudson my Afghan negotiation baby. So <laughs> very, very damning he's, label, but I get it. Yeah, he's our son. And that's where Chad was. And he came home and um, I got pregnant with our son. And it was then that because we were military kids and we'd lived this life of uh, just this cyclical life of just the, so you're always gone. We kind of had this epiphany that the grass is greener on the other side and we were making the decision to actually get out of the military. So in terms of thinking of like, I'm in this cycle of deployments, we at that point in time really thought we were about to break the cycle and we were going to get out of the military. We were, he was going to have a nine to five job. We were going to be just your very traditional family. Um, and we did that and it was terrible. It was terrible. Why? Terrible. Um, Well, it was good for some reason. So he, we got out of the military. Uh, He did. He finished up that last deployment. So how many years did he have in when when you got out? Sorry, I'm just trying to frame the whole thing. So, and that's usually like, you know, in military speak, hey, dummy, you walked halfway up the hill. You walked all the way up to the top. Just walk back down. Exactly. And that was the discussion we had. You know, we were looking at both of our fathers who served a full career that have a retirement. Um, Both of our dads have gone on to do other jobs. My dad is now 
happy in full-time retirement. His dad is, is still working because he likes to, but um, we're watching the benefits of that. You know, right. you have health care, sure. you have retirement, and we're thinking we're going to give all this up. Uh, but we really felt like that was going to be the best thing for sure. for, our, for our kids, really, yeah. is, was the driving factor. So um, we did. He, he came home from that last deployment uh, when our son was born. So and he was home for was a week. And, uh, 2004. Okay. Oh, June 2004. So and then he, he flew back overseas. Mm-hmm. So he has, what, three and, deployments in the war on terror at that point? Uh, not all in the war on terror, but yes. Okay, but three, so oh, two or oh, three and oh, four, he came he in in 96. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah, and then um, he came home in October. I, I actually sold our house, packed up everything, and moved the kids and I to Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, that's where I, sa- I had my son, was in Raleigh. And then he got out of the military, came and met us. He got a job in pharmaceutical research, which is big nice. in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was it was a great job. Uh, by most people's standards, it's a very good job. You make mm-hmm. really good money. There's a lot of potential for growth. Uh, we had this cute house with a wraparound porch and our kids were, you know, a newborn and a three year old, one boy, one girl. I mean, by most people's standards, we really had it going on. But from the minute he got out of the military, we would lay in bed at night and he would say, what are we doing? He would just like put his hands to his head and just be like, what am I doing right now? Um, and that lasted about two and a half years. Okay. Um, in retrospect, and, was it longer than you would have thought? Uh, no, because he and I are very... Um, What's the best word to use? We're just, we're very driven people mm-hmm. and we make a decision and it's like, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to be successful. Sure. So when we made that decision to get out, I really felt like even though it was, he wasn't liking his job, it was, it was a hard time in our marriage for a lot of people as you can relate when you have two small kids too. It's just, it's just hard. It was a very hard time for us. Um, we were close to family. They lived in the area. We made some really great friends. I mean, there was definitely some benefit, uh, but it didn't outweigh the bad. And so I don't think it was a matter of whether it would lasted long enough. I just assumed that we were going to like trudge on and, and, right. and make it work. But uh, Operation Red Wings happened in 2005. Yep. And I remember sitting in our living room and Chad was sitting on the couch watching the news. And I just remember his face. Um, and I think that haunted him because I've said it before in other interviews and things that I've said. I mean, I do think that a person like this is born with the heart of a warrior. I 100% believe that he was born to be a door kicker and, mm-hmm. and do this job and, and you can make the decision to leave, but it doesn't mean that that drive doesn't still live within you. So that was 2005. By 2007, September, we were coming back in the military. So he left for work one day in a suit and a tie. And I flipped his tie and I said, that's stupid. I'm done. We're going back. And we put a sign in our yard and we sold our house and we sold half of what we own. We put a big chunk in storage and we loaded up a U-Haul and we drove out to the West Coast. 
Um, lots to unpack there. Um, yeah. <laughs> one, I'll start with the amazing amount of courage you showed in making that decision. Because, mm-hmm. look, I mean, any guy who's married knows that, you know, the, the woman is the neck. She controls the head. And, and uh, in that sense, if you had been adamant about staying out, most husbands would have followed their wife's direction. And so from that standpoint, it's, a, it's incredibly selfless and courageous of you to put you, yourself, your children, and the welfare of your family behind your husband's needs. And I think that's, that's admirable, and it's, it's noble, and it's, and it's worth recognizing as it is. Um, for the civilians listening who aren't familiar with Operation Red Wings, just look up Lieutenant Mike Murphy, uh, the movie Lone Survivor. Um, you know, that whole uh, uh, deal is what Operation Red Wings is all about. Um, and, and, you know, forget the movie because it doesn't really do any justice to it. Read the book. You'll, you'll get a much better picture of, of what that's all about, just for the, again, for the people who aren't familiar with the actual name of the mission. Um, and how much did, how much could you tell, like, just by looking at Cheddar, how much did he ever indicate you know, like, hey, Sarah, this isn't me. That this isn't for me. Like, I'm not, I'm not this guy that you that that we're that we're spoke, that I'm right now, or you're asking me to be. I mean, I love that boy from the time he was 13. I I knew it. He didn't have to tell me. Right. Um, it just isn't. It was almost like I, I'm smiling because it was almost comical to see him in a suit, <laughs> and that's not to to you know, put down anybody who goes to work with a suit on. That's wonderful. But it's just not who he is. Um, And Chad was, he, he was incredibly intelligent. He was very driven. He was very goal oriented. He had an insane amount of focus, like no one I've ever met. So I 100% believe that he was making this choice for the best of myself and our kids. Um, And he probably would have kept, you know, plugging away. Uh, You know, we didn't go back to the military because he wasn't doing well. He was successful. He became a project manager. Mm -hmm. We made, you know, he made decent money. All of those things were fine. It's just like his spirit was a little broken. And I appreciate you saying those kind words. No one, no one's ever said that to me before. I've never thought about it that way, but I always thought of it as we're a team. Yes, that's the way I've always viewed us. We are a team. We operate as a hundred percent. But I I, I don't think that should be understated that there are certain things that just even in any teammate, in any marriage, you know, as much as we want it to be 50 50, it isn't usually that way. There's a give and take. And and there was a lot of give in you in that moment where you could have taken. And I think it's just, you know, it's it's a very simple acknowledgement that, uh, you know, from objectively from the outside, when I see it, because I know me, if if I was Chad and my wife was you and she said, we're not going and, you know, I, I give my balls back to her. And she puts them in her purse and we don't go anywhere. You know, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> what it boils down to. Like, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, hey, honor your wife, whatever, you know, Bible stuff. There's one decision right and one decision isn't wrong. I don't think that's the point. I think it's just people make decisions and yours was very selfless. And, and I don't think there's any reason that you, you shouldn't think of it as otherwise. And I don't think that's disrespectful to Chad or his memory. I mean, it worked for your marriage and it's, it's how things went, you know, but to yeah. your point, um, when you talk about the way Chad was wired and, and all seals and, and green berets and, and, you know, however many are listening certainly understand this, but again, for civilians who aren't, 
it's a hundred percent a mindset thing. And, and the easy way to say it is they got a couple of screws loose, right? Like they're just wired differently. Um, and I don't say that in a pejorative way, but not everybody is wired the way they are because people who get through those courses, who get through assessment and selection, who get through the Q course, who get through buds, who get through seal courses, 99% of them get through because of what's up here, not necessarily what's muscle, what's fit. There are seals who are 180 pounds soaking wet, you know, and don't look like they could, they, they could lift the, their spouse up, but they get through it because mentally they have the stamina and the drive to do it. And so from that standpoint, it's, People who relate to that, uh, and I was fortunate enough to deploy in the special operations community. I'm not tabbed or anything like that, but I, I look at those guys and I know they're different from me. Like, I'm not them. Um, as much as I, I can fancy myself, you know, wearing that uniform and acting all tough and cool and, you know, buff and big and everything, not me. And, and it's not for everybody. That's why it's a very small elite community within the military because. They don't want everybody to be able to think like that. If they did, we'd have a much different, whole different world. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So, uh, all right. So he gets back in and you guys head out west now. Mm -hmm. Coronado, California, where are we going? Coronado. Okay. It's where I am right now. So happy. Looks beautiful (laughs) behind you, by the way, for those watching on YouTube uh, or on the Kill Cliff TV app. It looks fantastic. I'm jealous. Uh, yeah, we come out to Coronado. So because he hadn't deployed for close to three years, he had to go back through what's called it. Well, it's called SQT now. At the time, it was called STT, SEAL Technical Take Training or SEAL Qualification Training. Right. And basically, that's a course that follows BUDS uh, after the guys go through BUDS, basic underwater demolition tra- SEAL training. They go to this SQT course. And then at the end of that is when they actually earn their trident and get sent to their teams. Um, so Chad went back through and it was an interesting dynamic because he's in there with kids, kids, guys that just went through buds. And here he is. He's had a couple deployments under his belt. He's been at the teams and he kind of really took that on as a mentor type role. And, uh, you know, just talking with the guys and sharing experience. And the plan was to come was was to do this course and then go to a West Coast team because we wanted to just keep our family together. Right. So. He said, okay, if I'm going to go to the West Coast, then I want to go to a West Coast team. So that was the plan. When he got back in, did you see a change in his spirit and his demeanor and just a look in his eye every day? Could you tell he was back to being Chad again? I saw a change in just his focus. So I guess we could say it was demeanor and spirit, but it was really just more like he had a different type of focus that I felt like was a little more inspiring to him. You know, he was driven, really. Was it inspiring to you? Um, was there a sense of like, okay, I made the right decision? Oh, yeah, I we did. Okay. We felt like we made the right decision for sure, um, which I know to some people listening might sound really strange because now we're coming in. It's 2007. The war is even ramping up even more. Yep. Most people will probably have a hard time understanding that. I just think because we were cut from a little bit different cloth, being raised as a military kid and knowing him the way I knew him, I just, this is just what he was born to do. So. So how quickly does he have to uh, get on a plane to go somewhere else again? So not super fast. So uh, the plan was to go to West Coast team. We were slated to do that. Everything was good to go. With he definitely had the long term vision of going over to 
damn neck, what's known as SEAL Team 6. Um, So that kind of got uprooted pretty quickly because the big boss from over there came to the West Coast to talk to the students and just kind of telling them the pipeline, if in the future this is what you want to do. And that's when Chad went and introduced himself to this person and said, you know, here's my name. This is what I've done. This is my plan in the next few years. And the guy kind of changed course and said, nope, get on a plane. So we were in California end of September, beginning of October. And Chad was on a plane back to Virginia Beach in January. Oh, um, man. So we are you upset at this? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, upset. I'm waiting. Um, Thank you. I'm waiting for you to actually be not, not OK <laughs> with the roller coaster that you're on. Thank you. OK, you are. Normal. I, I well, I was upset. I knew that he'd want to go over there right. eventually. And I was hoping I could buy a little bit more time before that actually happened. But I was most upset because I just had a happiness and a freedom living here that I hadn't felt before. Why? Uh, I don't know. I just I remember moving here with the kids and I flew and Chad drove a U-Haul um, with all of our stuff, you know, drinking Red Bull and eating sunflower seeds for like three <laughs> days while we sat on the beach and waited for the show. Um, Sounds about right. They were little kids. They were, it wasn't going to be a good long, long no, trip. But, no, I get uh, it. Trust me. I just remember landing here. And having the kids on the beach, and I remember looking at them saying to myself, this is going to change my life. This right here is going to change my life. And and it did in so many ways, good and bad. And, um, you know, this is where I found my profession that I've done for the last 10 to 13 years. Uh, it was the West Coast. Even, even as a military kid, my dad was a Marine. I almost spent all my time on the East Coast. So we were actually never stationed out West. Um, so it was a new opportunity for me. Um, and I think it was just, I, I'm a, I like to consider myself a pretty resilient person Sure. and I have no problem being somewhere where I know no one because I'm a military kid and I've moved my whole life. So I wasn't intimidated by moving here and not knowing a soul. And, um, I don't know. I just knew Chad being back in the teams and me being out here, it was going to change our life. And it did. So, so when you guys have to go back, I'm just kind of curious, the kids now, are what, six and four, six and three. Yeah. I mean, six, you know, six and three, it's, uh, any concern about them? I mean, you know, does Chad even express any, I hate that I'm doing this to the kids. Like, you know, they're starting schools and everything else. And, no, that conversation didn't come till much, much later okay. when our kids were older. Right. Just because we know. I mean, when you're little, I never went on a family vacation Everything's growing an adventure up. when and you're that age. Yeah. yeah. The, our, our, our vacation was we moved. So boxes <laughs> would show up to our house and we'd load everything up and then that was our vacation. You moved yeah. to the next spot. So I think having kids that that young, we... We, I don't want to say we didn't think about them, but we just, we weren't concerned. They're going to roll with it. So just for clarification, he goes back East. Are you staying in California or are you? That was a conversation, but no, he went back to screen and then we ended up moving out there, uh, end of March, beginning of April, 2008. Okay. At this point in time, are you aware of any sort of injuries that Chad has had? Any explosions, TBI, anything? So he was in a helicopter crash uh, when I was in college. Um, 
and I don't mean to smile, I'm smiling over the, how I found out, uh, he, he was at SEAL Team 8 and they were doing some training and basically the way he explained it is, you know, this kind of gust of wind came up and kind of like picked the helicopter up and slammed it on its side. Sounds uh, like fun. And someone, someone did pass away oh, in that a support person. I think he was looking out the window or something and he was trapped underneath and, um, Chad was actually digging to try to get him out, but, uh, fuel spilled out and a fire started and he was basically called away by his leadership, like get away from it. Um, I think he went on to maybe, and I, I know people are like, you don't know, but I think he might've got the Navy Marine Corps medal for that or something. But uh, this might've been 1998 and I was in college and this was back before cell phones or I didn't have a cell phone mm -hmm. and we had a telephone. My roommate woke me up late at night, midnight, and she said, Chad's on the phone. And she passed me the phone and he says, I said, what, what's wrong? And he said, I was in a helicopter crash, but I'm okay. Like, that's what you wake up to. And I was like, wait, what? Thinking he was kind of messing with me. Um, but to date, moving forward, as you asked, that was kind of the only real big crash that I okay. knew about at that time. Yeah. Um, in retrospect, did you find out about anything else after the fact leading up to this time? No. Okay. All right. I'm just I'm, no. I'm trying to just establish for, you know, for... Uh, ultimately with, with Chad to come to, you know, the level of, of when it started, if you had any idea of when it started. Yeah. Uh, no. And, you know, we can talk more about that. He played soccer growing up. Mm -hmm. So he had, he had a few concussions playing soccer. Um, he doesn't as... look like a soccer player. No, no, he's, oh. he's too pretty to be a soccer player. That's exactly why he's a soccer player. <laughs> I would have, I, I'm from the Northeast. I would have leaned towards like lacrosse. You know, oh, yeah, he's no, got that sort not, of like, you know, rugged chin and, you know, like he just looks like he fits that mold. No, he was a soccer player. He has the best legs. Okay. Oh, he had the best legs. Well, so, I'll, I'll trust um, your, I'll trust your, your, your judgment on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what position did he play? Uh, he played a little bit of everything. Okay. Uh, midfield predominantly, but he played him and his brothers, his dad. They're a big soccer family. So, okay. Um, so just concussions, mm -hmm. the helicopter crash, that's kind of the gist of it. So what year does he leave again for the first time? Would you say about 09 it was? I do think, yeah. Okay. 09 was his first deployment. Do you know uh, where he goes? Oh, uh, no, honestly, no. Uh, most of them, I think, in the beginning were Afghanistan. Right. Um, at the end, it was a little bit more Africa. Okay. Um, was there any part of you... That was like, here we go again, like, uh, or you just kind of biting your bottom lip and saying, this is, again, this is what we chose. And there's, I didn't really feel that until probably the last like two years, okay. three years before he died. Um, are you, that's when I started to get frustrated. Are you worried that he's missing out on his kids growing up? Like all these memories. I mean, look, I, I have twin six-year-old boys. And so I, I've been, I've been where you are in that range and I, I, in the short amount of time that I've had children, you know, some of my biggest regrets are I didn't spend enough time with them even when they were younger. Like, you know, I slept too much because I was too exhausted or, you know, I worked too much and I wasn't around for certain things. And uh, it was nowhere near to the level that he was. Um, and I personally just, you know, for me, have some of those sort of, you know, damn, I wish I, I had been at home or paid attention more. None, none of that was ever getting to you about his relationship with the kids. 
more towards the end. Okay. Yeah, I think we just, um, you know, we we were still pretty young, and our kids are pretty young, and I was doing the mom thing, and you know, shuttling and practices, and and when he was home, he was home. So when he was home, he was very active, and he would help with practice and homework sure. and all the things. Uh, but that definitely took its toll, you know, once you're spending 10 years right. at six and you're doing, you know, they would, they would deploy. And then you basically deploy at least at exactly 12 months after you return home. Got so, it. you know, it was just a cycle, a constant cycle. And there the kids was really ever no you, relief. Mommy, where's daddy? When's daddy coming home? No, uh, we did a lot of like creative things for like countdown. I had like a countdown calendar and they would Got mark it. days off till he would come home and that sort of thing to, to create a visual for them. Um, and we do have great family or, and friends. Uh, our family does, does not live near us. So we, you know, we didn't have that necessarily like support with childcare all the time yeah. or them coming over for dinners, but the community we're in, at least in the early days was a very close knit community. Um, and the kids were doing okay. It just, it got bad once we got farther in it because our kids also got older mm -hmm. and you'll learn when your six year olds get older that it's way harder. Um, <laughs> <Can't wait. laughs> and it got, yeah, it definitely got to be a point where I remember saying to him, I said to him two weeks before he died, even, I feel like I'm just sitting here waiting to live my life. And that's when, like, when you give up a lot as a spouse and you prioritize that person over yourself that, you know, everybody, everybody has their threshold. Sure. For and, me, it and was it all adds up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, that's that's totally relatable, um, to say the least. So uh, he goes back and deploys again in 09. Uh, I assume again, 2010, 2011. This is kind of going like clockwork. Or yeah. No? Yeah. It's pretty much like back to back. I mean, okay. that's how all the guys, everybody's that right. way. He's not special. I mean, they all are just pumping out deployments and we're going to a lot of funerals. Okay. Uh, you slid that in there. Uh, are you now more scared about him leaving because you're going to a lot of funerals? You know, I don't, it's one of those, uh, it's one of those communities that you really can't help others to understand it unless you've lived it. Right. And I think if other spouses heard, they'd be able to shake their head. There's just, um, there's just an underbelly of understanding that what they do is really dangerous and there is a really high likelihood they won't come home. So, um, It was just known. I don't I don't know. I, you know, as much as it requires a special breed of person to become a SEAL, I think it also requires a special breed of person to be married to them. To be a SEAL spouse, um, yeah. <laughs> it really does. And, and I'm not trying to undermine any other no, branch and, and, and roles, but it's just it's really hard to put into words what it requires. And and it's definitely not for everybody. And you have to be really damn tough and you have to be very resilient and um we just knew that there was a chance they might not come home. And so you really do prepare yourself for that. Yeah. Uh, like everybody who serves in the military, right? There's a cost. And, and no matter the branch, you realize I'm, I'm going to fight to serve my country, especially post 9-11. I'm going to fight to serve my country. But that level of fight 
is a little different for certain people over yes. others. And um, it's it's almost, yeah, you know, I can say now in my position, it's a little sad and and unfortunate how commonplace you do consider death that you do consider like someone could come knock on my door and then he's just gone, you know? Right. Um, the word for you, uh, and other spouses, uh, like you, and it's the word I use often. You'll hear me say it again before the podcast is over, but the best word I come up with is grace. Um, there's a certain grace, uh, in your patience, in your understanding, um, in your, your devotion, not only to the individual you're married to, but the cause that they take up and you take it up as your own. And for that, that grace, the extension of it is almost unfathomable to most people. Um, you know, to extend somebody else grace, I think means a whole lot. Uh, and you give them a, a sort of a pass, if you will, for lack of a better term. And I think that's the one word I, that comes to mind when you talk about how you, you can't explain it. I think it's the best way to explain it is that you, there's a whole lot of grace in you um, to accept everything that comes with the deal that you signed up for. And as much as you understand it's the deal you signed up for, that doesn't necessarily mean your emotions just shut off and you don't feel like normal people feel. You feel all those things. But grace allows you to put them in a position where they're almost subjugated feelings on behalf of the person that you're with. And again, I think that's incredibly admirable. Uh, I, I don't have that level of grace. I am not that individual. Uh, it's a flaw. <laughs> it is, but it's me. Uh, and, and I accept it, but I, I look at you and, um, and many spouses like you, uh, I use the same word with Taya Kyle when I spoke with her. Um, it's just an incredible way, an, an incredible thing that is inside of people like you that not everybody has. Um, and, and it's, again, it's admirable, noble and worthy. So, I just want to extend that that sort of sentiment to you um, and let you know that it, it's out there, even if you don't recognize it. Well, thank you. I mean, that's very kind. I appreciate that. I think, you know, that grace is just pushed forward through love. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that's a huge driving force for so many of us, just the the level at which you love this person and you want to show them support. And within our community, there's just this humble I kind of call it the humble nod. Um, I, I live in Virginia Beach, truthfully, full time. And so you go around town and you see fellow spouses and you kind of know their husbands are deployed. And there's just kind of this humble nod that happens that you understand what they're feeling or mm -hmm. or seeing fellow widows who have become some of my closest friends. There's just kind of this humble nod I always give them because um, – because it's just so close to your heart. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly understand. Uh, and the only reason I referenced uh, to return to the subject about his deployments in 2011, because obviously when bin Laden was killed, you know, SEAL Team 6 is everybody's favorite moniker now. Uh, and with that, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just curious if it's sort of, you know, it finally hit you like, oh, that's what he does. No, I knew by then. Okay. All right. Uh, I just, <laughs> I, you know. I figured it out by then. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, it's just uh, it's a it, it's a little weird. Obviously, throughout the years, the the 
the SEAL community, it's just become this buzzword. Navy SEAL has kind of become a buzzword. I don't know if that's inappropriate to say, but, um, you know, something that you live that is a part of your life. That's like, this is just what we do. Um, and I've, I've talked about this with other people. It's, it's, it's almost detrimental to be totally honest, it's almost detrimental the rate at which the media and society has blown yep. them up. Yep. Because if you are constantly told, you know, how brave and heroic and fearless and just badass and fill in whatever word, right? If you're constantly told that, you know, eventually, if you don't believe it yet, you you have to believe it. Like, yeah, I am those things. I am those things. But the flip side of the coin is the this this was this is my husband. This is many guy women's husband and kids' dads, and they're wearing the baby Bjorn at the barbecue, like flipping hamburgers. Like no joke. Like they've got the kid on their shoulder at the soccer game. I guess what I'm trying to say is they're just normal dudes that do extraordinary things. Right. So ordinary men doing extraordinary things. I, um, I ask every Green Beret or SEAL who comes on, I, I usually ask most of them this question, you know, um, are you bothered by the fact that it is such a, you know, what used to be semi-clandestine as far as their job was concerned, you know, now in the in 2010 and beyond, there are movies, there are books, they are common threads, common, you know, all these guys now are out on TV as analysts and military consultants and everything else. I mean, you know, it's changed the idea of what Green Berets, Navy SEALs and, you know, Rangers and all those guys do because they're just, as you said, buzzwords on TV that sound really cool. Yeah. And a yeah, lot of them. A it's lot annoying. Of them, yeah, they're, they're sort of bothered. But like they understand it now just because it is what it is. But, you know, I, I'm one of those people who kind of feels like, hey, you know what? Like, I'm OK with that's a need to know thing. And America don't need to know that we got those dudes. We're OK. Right. So. Right. You know, uh, I mean, go ahead. No. No, that's just, I mean, that's how Chad was. He was just quiet and he, he, you know, he intently watches the, watched the news and paid attention to everything that was going on in the world. But, um, you just get, uh, you know, I hate to use the word like indoctrined, indoctrinated, mm -hmm. but to not talk about what it is you do, sure. which which is, has been a really weird transition for me now in this role because I come on and I share about Chad and, you know, don't share many details specific, specific to his work. But, um, even that was very hard for me just like, okay, I guess I'm going to talk about it. So I, I can't tell you how many sitcoms I've been watching, you know, you're multitasking and TV shows on and someone's like makes a comment about being a Navy SEAL. And you're just like, I don't understand why this is such a thing, but yeah. anyway, um, so after Bin Laden is killed, are you like, okay, we can go home now? We're good? Are you, are you coming back No, because I just okay. know there's more. Like, you know, uh, uh, tier one operators, there's always going to be there's a bad more. guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, there just is. And so America's like, yeah, this is great. And it's great. And that's wonderful. And um, what a proud moment for them to feel that. Um, what a good what a needed success that 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 they needed and America needed. It right. was great. It's wonderful. But in my mind, I'm like, oh, great. Well, who's who's the next guy? You know, there's a list. 
Yeah. Um, d- did you guys ever have a conversation about that whole thing or no? You just you never bothered to ask. No, we did. OK, we had a conversation about it. So if you don't um, want to share it, that's fine. If it's, you know, national security and everything else, by all means. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't I don't really want to talk about okay, it, but that's totally fair. Um, but at least you got a conversation out of it. Right. I mean, was that more than you did before? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, he shared very minimal mm-hmm. with me. Um, and I do know some stuff, but I just I'll just hold on to it. No. And, and again, uh, I, I think it's awesome that he had a conversation with you. You know, I mean, that's yeah. uh, it must have been. Are you proud when you sort of hear about it after the fact? I mean, what's the what's the emotion just in knowing the connection in any size, way, shape or form? Yeah, I mean, there were phone calls. I mean, I was woken from a sleep. There were. Yeah, I mean, there was quite a buzz in our community for sure. And a high and just, um, did you get the pre phone call? I love you very much. And I'll call you when I can. I can't say what I got. Oh, okay. Well, that was before <laughs> I was just asking about the, the normal before phone call. Okay. Yeah. Now it's now, now I'm intrigued, but I'll, 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 I'll leave my interest in my back pocket. Um, but that, I, I, again, I think it's awesome. I think that's, that's great for you. At yeah. least there's, there's some, um, Especially now that, that Chad's gone, you know, th- there's got to be some level of, you know, when your kids went through school and your kids' kids go through school and they learn about that, there's got to be some level of satisfaction and pride that Chad had a role in all that. Yeah, I think so. Oh, sorry, my son's peeking his head <laughs> in. Um, definitely. I We, you know, we've, it's interesting because I think post- Chad's death they've learned a lot more about him mm-hmm. um we have awards and uh you know one written up specific to his silver star and his bronze star and his navy marine corps medal and those are framed and they've hung in our house and um obviously the position that I'm in now I feel very grateful that my kids can at least look at that and and read things about him and and if they're not, if they're not super prideful now, that maybe at some point that will hit them. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it continues to go on. When is his last deployment? Uh, 18, 17. I think he did his last one in 2016, okay. maybe early 17. Yeah, because he transitioned out of one group and was moved, went to a different group. I know it sounds kind of weird, but, uh, he had been with the same group for basically 10 years, still at still team six, but he was transitioning to do kind of a different role. Mm -hmm. And that's what took up about the last year of his life. Um, what is the conversation that you have with him where, Hey, Chad, I'm at my breaking point. So I wanted him to just not deploy anymore. Um, well, truthfully, what happened was he was reaching the 20 year mark and uh, he was going back and forth about what does he do. And I think that he was a little nervous about making the decision to officially retire at 20 years because he had that short stint at the 10 year right. that didn't work out so well. And I think it made him a little nervous. Um, I honestly really kind of hope that he would pick us. Um, 
by picking us, I mean, like retire at 20 years and find something else to do. And, and, you know, this is a pretty significant talking point for me because one of the things he said to me is he said, I don't have any skills. (laughs) And I laughed when he said that, I mean, he, he had a four-year degree. He had a very high GPA with his degree, like did great in school. He was a sniper he had multiple combat deployments. He'd served 20 years. He, you know, you can name all kinds of, of other credentials these guys hold because, you know, they outsource them to do free fall jump master and be a sniper and be a combat medic and you know, all those things. Um, and yet he still felt like he didn't have any skills to transition into you know, a traditional workforce, um, which I think is really unfortunate. However, I think a lot of them might feel that way, Mm -hmm. which when I think about it, I realize, you know, if anybody has done a job for 20 years, you get really confident in that one job. It would make sense whether you're a teacher or a plumber, fill in the blank. It's a little nervous to switch careers, but it was just mind blowing to me because as I've said before, to me, he was completely unbreakable and he was successful in everything that he attempted to do that he would believe that he didn't have a skill to transition. Um, So we kind of went round and round and I'm like, I just need you to not deploy. Like you can't hide in the bushes and kick indoors forever. He was in his forties at this point. I need (laughs) you to be home more. And that's what led him to kind of move to this different role was the hope and the goal of being around more. And then the farther we got into it, the more it looked like he wasn't going to be home. He, he was going to be gone just as much. Right. So, um, so do you remember the conversation you had with him where you said enough is enough or that it's not really said that way? Well, I mean, we had a, we had a couple discussions, but I mean, I remember the date it was October 10th, 2018. And he, had been on a work trip and was getting ready to go on another work trip. And he's given me a whole list of all the trips he's going to go on. And I remember sitting on the couch and I just said, I literally am sitting here waiting to live my life. At this point, we've been married almost 20 years. Our kids are 14 and 17. We've done multiple deployments. I can't tell you how many birthdays I've spent alone, how many Christmases we've spent alone, how, you know, after a while, even for the strongest people, and I consider myself pretty strong, yeah. it gets to be like, I, I want a partner and I want to enjoy life together with this person. Okay. So, so does he ever actually officially retire? No. No. He reenlisted. Whoa. So he re yeah. So he reenlisted, um, And that's the other thing, too, that the military gets on you as they kind of hold rank over your head a little bit. So it's like, well, you could reenlist. And then in this many years, you can make the next rank. And, uh, you know, for any non-military listening, what rank you retire at determines what your retirement is going to be. Not to mention you're talking to someone who's just an uber competitive person. Right. Right. I mean, in in the in all the best ways, he was competitive and he we were both this way. We like to do, be very good at what we do. And so it's always going to be like, I'm going to try to 
you know, work to get the next rank and the next mm-hmm. rank. So you had that conversation on October 10th, 2018. You had no way of knowing that three weeks later, everything would, would ultimately change. Do you have, yeah. do you have any idea of the amount of TBI that he had sustained to this point? So he went to NICO, which uh, is kind of like a body brain clinic in the D.C. or in Bethesda, Maryland, I believe. And they send uh, men and women there. It's like a full body checkup and they do all kinds of things and stress assessments and personality tests and sleep clinics and MRIs for TBI. They do a whole gamut over the course of 30 days. And he went there in December of 2016. So within two years, he was dead. Um, a lot to be totally honest, the reason a lot of people go there is it's able to document all of your medical history. So that determines your uh, medical eligibility when you either retire or depart from the military. So it's kind of like a checklist, so to speak. Right. So when he was at NICO, uh, he had seven TBIs. Okay. Um does he tell you this? Not, Does he, or do you see the medical report or anything or no? Yeah. So okay. I spent a week up there. So as a spouse, uh, it's encouraged that we go up for one week of those three and a half weeks that they're there. Um, and he had seven TBIs and one of the guys that he was in the course with him, I think had 42 is the number oh, I remember. God. And so he was, he was kind of joking saying, I need to walk around with a football helmet. I can't risk, you know, falling down and hitting my head. And so, just to put in perspective, one guy who did the same job my husband did had 42. And to my knowledge, he's still alive. And my husband had seven. So it just shows you there's a difference between TBI and like when we're talking about blast injury that you can't detect. And that's that's what we see that's like increasing in momentum. And it's really scary. Okay, um, this will be the hard part, but how does everything transpire? Um, I mean, are you around for it? I mean, what do, do you have any indication at all that Chad is in danger? No, no. I mean, no, the night before, um, he definitely was not okay. And I was working out of town and I drove home that night after work. And he just was not okay. My kids had expressed that he was not acting normal. And um, I tried to talk to him. I, you know, I kept saying, you need to tell me, you need to tell me what, what's on your mind. And um, he really couldn't even create words. I mean, he just kept putting his hands on the side of his head and pulling his hair. And um, he lay, I got him to lay down in bed next to me. I really just thought if I could keep him close to me, then, then I, I just really just thought he was super stressed and probably hadn't been getting really good sleep. He slept terribly. M- many of them sleep very terribly. His was always very bad. So I just thought if I could just stay next to him and get him to sleep, then maybe that will help. And I remember trying to talk to him. And at one point he, it was literally gibberish. So it was like, and I kind of just chalked it up to, he's really, really tired. He needs to go to sleep. And, um, I fell asleep holding his hand 
And at one point I woke up in the middle of the night. He was standing up. He was in all of his clothes and he was standing up looking outside the window. And I asked him what he was doing. And he said, I don't know. So I said, I don't know. And I said, well, come lay down with me, lay back down with me. So I got him to lay back down with me. Um, and basically when I woke up the next morning, he was gone. So, um, he wasn't in bed and I couldn't find him. And I looked all around for him. He was supposed to leave on a work trip that day and his truck was still there. Um, his keys were there. His toothbrush was there. His wallet was there. Uh, and I really did my due diligence to try to find him myself. I went outside. I thought maybe went for a walk, maybe walk to get coffee. I, at one point I got in my car thinking I would drive and look for him. But then I started to realize very quickly, like legitimately, where would I drive to? I don't even know where to drive to. Um, so I came home and it probably took me about an hour and a half or two hours to call work because that's the thing in this world. You don't call work. Um, I, I, I don't know any other time I've called work, his work prior to that. You just don't. Prior to calling um, work, was, was there any point, like, are you at a level of nervousness that you're really starting to, you know? Uh, well, I for sure never thought that he was dead <clears throat> at, okay. at this point. I just thought, like, that's just really weird. Like, where did he go? Because he never, he never didn't leave and didn't say goodbye to me and kiss me. Right. Never. Like, he has picked me up out of a dead sleep, kissed me goodbye, and, you know, like, put me back down. So that was weird. Um, I called his dad. And his dad was trying to convince me to open our safe which I took me forever to figure out the combination, how to get it open. And, um, I accounted for the guns. And so at that point I thought, Oh, okay. Like his dad's asking me this, like, where would he go? But I think, I think even in that moment, um, I don't know. I guess I just think even in that moment, I didn't think that he would really take his own life because we were a team and there is honestly nothing I didn't tell Chad. There's nothing I didn't share with him. He knew everything about me. So I just, you know, you, you don't really have a conversation with yourself, but you just assume being in a relationship as open as I am and as close as we are. And as long as I've known this person, I mean, I know him, I know him. Um, so I called work and uh, that's kind of a terrible story, but they basically assured me that he was on his way to this trip that he was supposed to go to. Um, well, that's, I mean, and I, when I tell you that, obviously it doesn't make sense. His wallet's there, his keys are there. Like, it, Well, I, it doesn't make sense, um, which I didn't realize that at first. So I talked to them once and, uh, you know, she said, oh, she's he's probably on his way. I was told that due to the privacy of his job, it would be likely that he wouldn't answer his cell phone. That was those were the exact words. I remember this very distinctly. And I thought that's never really been the case before. But OK, because like I said, he's kind of doing this new job and I'm not as familiar with it. So I'm, again, just trying to be respectful. But then I talked to them a second time and said, hey his toothbrush is here, his medicine is here, like his sunglasses. You know, I've said that he had like super blue green eyes. He was very sensitive to the sun. The guy never went outside without sunglasses ever. 
Um, and that's when I was like, okay, something is weird. Something is really not right. Um, but I was trying to be a good wife. I, you know, I sent him texts. He didn't respond. Um, this was a Monday morning. I went about my Monday, um, and that he was supposed to be back the next day. So we're now full 24 hours into him being gone. And this is where it's like pretty, you know, losing someone to suicide is pretty traumatic. I think the details of my story and I'm trying to, to not give everything because it's pretty triggering. But, um, if I were to share every single part of this story, I think it would, it would, it would devastate people. But, um, Tuesday comes along, my kids had asked, where's dad? When you say devastating, I I think that sells your, isn't it more devastating to you than to somebody else to have to retell the story? Well, it's, yeah, it's absolutely devastating to me, but because I live it and because I carry it every single day, it's heavy. This is heavy what I carry. And so many people, you know, haven't heard the whole story. And even the parts that they've heard, I've had people say like, oh my gosh, that's, but do you understand what I'm I do. Like, I guess, I guess um, I'm, I, I, my instinct in just talking to you feels like it's more self-defense than anything else, which I totally understand. You yeah. know, it's, it's more of a, like, uh, my experience, just not only doing this show, but just my military experience, um, would lend me to probably have a, a, a better understanding than most of whatever the, the finer details of the whole thing are. And I'm by all means, I'm not asking you to divulge anything you're not comfortable. Um, but I just, I, I feel like I feel when you say that, I feel like there's this sense of just, if I don't have to go there for myself, I don't have to rip off band-aids of wounds that I'm desperately trying to cover up, which again is completely understandable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, I can't even put into words the, the pain well, the pain that comes from an untimely death. Yeah. Um, my fellow widows and I call it an out-of-timeline death, right? Someone, we weren't 80. Uh, he was healthy uh, in terms of not, you know, general. Um, yeah, his life was cut short. So to have an out-of-timeline death is, is pretty traumatic. And then to have it be a suicide yeah. is pretty traumatic. And then to have people who, who should have done better not do their jobs that's like just salt to the wound okay so okay it's a little bit like you have at least for me filled in the the blanks that that yeah but i I want you to tell the story the way you're comfortable telling it um and so tuesday came along and he was supposed to be home so i uh went for a run that day and i i was gonna stop at the we lived on a lake and I was going to sit on this bench at the lake for a while because it was a it was a really pretty day for the end of October. For Virginia, it can kind of get cold and windy. Yeah. Um, but it was actually a, a pretty nice day. Um, but I decided not to. I went inside and I showered and I like curled my hair and did my makeup because I just thought whatever's happening, I just want to like this is where my mind was. I was like, I just want to look good and, and 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 to when I see them, you know, Um And my son, my, I had to take my son to a football game and my daughter was upstairs in her room when I was having, 
our house was actually being renovated. So our kitchen was completely, um, was in the process of being torn up and the contractor came out my front door and he just said, Miss Sarah, there's police at your back door. And I just instantly called my best friend, Courtney. And I just said, you need to come to my house right now. And I hung up and I walked in the front door and out the back door and the cops were there and they asked me if I knew where my husband was. And I said, no, and I haven't been able to get a hold of them. And I think they asked me a couple other questions. I can't quite remember what they asked me. Um, we were underneath my daughter's window. So I asked him if we could move farther to the street because I didn't want her. I wasn't thinking that she would then be able to see us. I was thinking more like she would hear yeah, them. Right. Um, but yeah, the cop just, I'll never forget. He reached into his driver's door like he was going to get something out of the car and he just stood back up and he looked at me really nonchalant and said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but your husband's taken his life. And that's one of those things that I, I did 20 years in the military, you know, as a spouse Mm -hmm. and I did multiple combat deployments as a spouse and in some weird way, because you prep yourself for the time that your husband might not come home. And I've watched it happen to fellow friends who get the, you know, I wasn't there, but like, you know, that a knock on the door is happening with a man in uniform with a friend of theirs or yours next to them to be there and to have it and to not have that and to be all alone. um, That's pretty traumatic. Um, that's pretty devastating and completely terrible and quite frankly, completely unacceptable. Um, that's something that I, I, I will never forgive. Forgive whom? The military? The military. Yeah. Um, there should have been a bit of deference. Like I, I deserve that. I was owed that. (laughs) Um, Chad deserved that. Chad did not deserve to be out there as long as he was out there. Um, So there's a lot of hurt. And, you know, I've said it before, but I think everybody has a story in this life. And some, some are great and some are not so great. And if you would have told me before Chad's death, if there was anything in my life I regretted, I would say absolutely not. And my birthday is September 1st. And that year on our birthday, my birthday, we took a bike ride around Virginia Beach and we kind of just like bar hopped and had fun. And I remember him saying to me, are you happy? And I said, oh, absolutely. And I looked right at him and I said, I feel so lucky. I have you and I love you and I have our children and we have a nice home and I have a job that I love. I feel very, very lucky. And he looked at me and he said, hmm, you think so? And that haunts me. And every year on my birthday, that haunts me because when he said that, I didn't really think much of it. But after he died, I realized What's interesting about that conversation is that would be a time that he would echo those same sentiments 
you know, a spouse to a spouse, it would be a time when that person would then say, oh, you know, well, I really like this, or I'm really thankful for this. And he didn't say that. And so, you know, you lose someone to suicide, you constantly question everything about your life. Yeah. I mean, I question everything about my life. Um, and I will never be able to, I will never be able to get away from that. Um, and people say, oh, well, his brain was sick and he just wasn't thinking right. And I told a friend recently, I listened to a book and the author said, your unconscious does not care about facts. And when they said that, I went, oh, because I can sit here and say, I donated his brain and he had interface astral glial scarring and he had blast wave injuries from years of combat. But at the end of the day, he left you. At the end of the day, he didn't choose you. You weren't good enough. And that's what someone like me feels. So I could sit here and I could cry very easily, but I try really hard to just take the love that I have for him and the pain that I feel and just try to protect other people. Um, it's interesting that you boil it down to a choice. Um, do you suppose that it was that's that binary for Chad as far as what he left behind and everything that was there and what he was dealing with? I mean, um, cause you say he didn't choose you, which I, I can empathize with. I can't sympathize because I'm not in your shoes, but I, I understand where your thought process is on that. But I, I, would, I would challenge you and ask you to flip it around. Was it that simple of a choice, do you think, for him? And obviously, you don't know the answer, but I'd just speculate. No, I mean, like, like logically, I can sit here and tell myself, clearly, his demons were pretty big, right? right. And And the blast injury was affecting just just his perception obviously logically i can say all those things but the emotional side your your unconscious that doesn't care about facts it it's just always always right here gotcha. in your ear okay. and and so you know i don't want to i don't want to like how do i say this the relationships within special operations are hard. I've, mm -hmm. I've watched yeah. many, a plethora of them struggle. <laughs> yeah. Right. It is hard. It's a hard life. And I say here and I think, you know what? I was a damn good wife. Yes. I was a good wife. I was a loyal wife. Mm -hmm. I was a supportive wife. So unfortunately, your unconscious can't help but feel like, so why wasn't it enough? Um, even though logically, right? Just to your point, I get I get that he had this invisible wound that that was bigger than him. It just I don't think I'll ever be able to reconcile that. It just is. Yeah, no, I, I, again, I, I. However, you compartmentalize it, how, however, you can live with it every day um, is entirely up to you. I don't think anybody has a right to judge that or tell you to look at it a different way um, because you live it every day and nobody else does. Uh, and, and, and bless your heart. I mean, it's, you know, your kids and everything else. It was, uh, it, 
can't even comprehend uh, what life is like on, on a routine basis. Um, are you, and you don't have to, are you willing to share um, what else you learned about his suicide? Do you know any, is there anything else you, you want to, just for the sake of the audience, I feel like I almost have to ask, but again, if you're not comfortable with it, please don't. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, I, I don't know when he made the decision. I don't know how long he'd been sitting with this. I, I know I've shared before about the first week of October is when he started hanging all his awards up in the house, which was really weird. So because we had these really wonderful awards that he never wanted hung up, they sat in a closet because, again, he's like, I don't want people to come in my house. And then it's like a wall of me. this is me. <laughs> right. He just was like he was a low profile dude. Um but he started hanging those up, which was weird. Uh, so, so I guess in my mind, I kind of think that maybe starting in the beginning of October, he was having this idea or these thoughts that he was going to take his life or not be around. And I believe that he hung those up because it was a point of contention with us as a spouse, you know, it's like your wife's like, hang them up. I don't want to hang them up. Why do we spend the money? You know, um, and I think he hung them up because he knew exactly how he wanted them hung. You know, one wall was pictures of buds. One wall was his deployments at six. One wall was still teammate. One wall was his helmets from buds. Like it was very well thought out. Right. Um, and he wrote uh, myself a letter. He wrote our kids a letter and he wrote his parents a letter. Um. Where'd you find them? My girlfriend found them actually. So after I was told, um, that he took his life, I somehow got in my house. I think I was pretty much carried in my house, but I spent days in his closet. Um, and I would just lay in his closet and I don't know if it was that day or the next day. But one of my very close girlfriends was up there with me and I was trying to explain to her some of the events that had happened, I think. And she started like looking around and looking in drawers and stuff. And they were in a drawer, a drawer I never opened. Um, and um, yeah, and it was definitely like a goodbye letter. I was going to say, well, I'm not going to ask you about the contents, but what sort of light did it shed on it for you? Did it give you any sort of, there's not solace in any of this by any means, but is, is there any sort of answers that you got that you at least can, you know, sink some teeth into that makes sense? I mean, I think the overall theme was that he was a shitty husband and a shitty dad. At least that's how we felt that he was a bad dad and he was a bad husband and we would be better off without them, without him. And, um, I think, you know, to his parents effort, just saying like, this is not your fault. Nothing, you know, this is just, I'm not good. So, um, yeah, I think it's that overall feeling of burden, you know, that we would be better off without him kind of a thing. That whole I'm not good, did that ring back to 
I don't have any skill. Like, did, was there a connection immediately to that? Um, and the only reason I ask is because it, that is, there's that sense of sort of loss. Like, I don't have anything else in front of me. You know, like, yeah. I don't, I don't, that's what, at least what I put together when you tell it. I think, I mean, I guess I've never really thought about it that way, but he, trying to think of how the best really sum him up. He he just was really good at everything that he did. And if there was an opportunity where he wasn't going to do well, it would it would almost like devastate him. Mm-hmm. And I think I think he questioned whether this new role he was going into was the right fit for him. We had a conversation about it. And he felt like this wasn't the path he should be going down. Um, and I remember saying to him, well, I think that you should, you know, talk to your leadership and share that with them because you're someone who every time he set a goal for himself, he went and did it. And I said, this might be the first time that you've set a goal for yourself and you've just changed your mind. And that's OK. You can change your mind. But to Chad, you realize that would be quitting. And quitting to these guys is the gravest sin death. there is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that magnified some of what he was going through. The fact that he didn't maybe want to go down the path he was going down and the idea of like he would have to step away and or quit and what that would be perceived as or what that would be looked like from his peers and I think there's something to that. So, um, yeah, I don't know if maybe he was, a, cause he didn't share his struggle in terms of his brain with me. Um, did he share with and anybody? I, not that I know of. Okay. No, this for everybody that I've talked to, they all express that this was so out of the blue for Chad Wilkinson. Um, so, so he, um, I forget what I was going to say. Um, he didn't really share any of his mental struggle. And I was talking, I'm staying with a friend right now who her husband, her, this man and woman I'm very good friends with, her husband served with Chad. And okay. so she and I were having a conversation last night. And it's only now in hindsight that I can really start to put together a lot of pieces And I think that's a little bit of where my voice stems from is just because you have someone who has blast injury doesn't mean you're all going to have the same symptoms. I mean, that's true for almost anything. Right. Right. But having people start to connect the dots, Chad would start to lose his balance um, and he would always play it off like he was just being silly. He grew really sensitive to light. Um, Like I would like put keep the blinds shut because he didn't like that much light in the house. He uh, would get headaches. He'd have ringing in his ears. He didn't sleep very well. Of course, he was agitated. He had a short fuse, generally shorter with our kids than with me. Um, and we were dis- her and I were discussing last night because I didn't realize this till our conversation, but she experienced it too, that I would have a conversation with Chad, just pick any topic and we'd discuss it. And then later on that day or maybe the next day, he would ask a question and it's like, 
you realize we just talked about this. Like, do you remember we had a conversation about this? And here's what's scary about that is the whole joke people like to have on married couples and selective listening. Yeah, well, I was just thinking the same thing. I mean, it happens in my marriage all the time. Yeah, you know. Right. But there's a difference. (laughs) There's a difference between like, yeah, yeah, I was just busy. I wasn't really paying attention versus like, you know, when you look at someone and you realize they honestly have no No idea idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No idea. And she shared a story with me, too, that they had had a conversation, very detailed, back and forth. Okay, you do this. I'm going to do this. We're going to handle this. And then the next day, he asked her a question. Hey, specific. And it's like, do you not remember the 15-minute conversation? And then um, the joke between us is Chad was always pretty organized, and he had his stuff buttoned up, and he could find any little piece of gear ever in all of his bags of kit bags and for me it'd be like I lose stuff all the time and he would tell me I was a soup sandwich I mean I would lose stuff all the time and one day in particular he was getting ready to go to work and if he came in the house once he came in the house four more times he's like I forgot my coffee I forgot my car keys I forgot my this and that was very not like him but at the time I just was like man kind of like as a wife like get get your shit together what do you got going on and I look back now and I think that's really not normal for someone like him. How much do you have a desire to fill in the blanks and get answers? I mean, it's been almost three years now as we sit here and record this in the middle of September. Um, do you, are you still like sleuthing the whole thing to try to get some semblance of peace to understand the big picture of the whole thing or no? Yes and no. I mean, some it's gotten better. Um, but some days are worse than others that you just, like I said, you question so many things. Sure. Um, but I think you also get to a place specific to suicide that in, and this doesn't, this goes for anybody. I think that takes their life. You will never have all the answers. I'm never going to know. There's not like one friend that carries all the secrets. That's going to let me know 10 years down the road. Like, I'm never going to know. So I try to remind myself of that. I think the, I think the most, I think the most hurtful thing is just how little he shared because I do have friends whose husbands have taken their life and even husbands who are still alive and with us today. And those spouses have shared with their significant other and they are aware of the struggle and to not to not be led into that insight, that intimate hurt, it feels like betrayal. Um, and that's hard to rectify with someone that you love so much. Yeah. I, betrayal seems like such a harsh word. Um, I understand it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would I would soften it with misunderstanding. But again, I'm not in your shoes and I'm certainly not going to tell you how to feel. Um, just an outsider's perspective. Uh, how much do you blame yourself, if at all? Oh my gosh, so much. That's the other thing. I mean, it's like I say all the time. I walk around with this gigantic backpack. This just like emotional backpack that's mm-hmm. heavy as hell. And in the early days and weeks, it was um, suffocating. And I think the only thing that happens is your body gets stronger at carrying it it doesn't get less. It doesn't, it doesn't go away. 
you just get stronger at carrying it. And yeah, I mean, guilt, shame and regret, you, you, that's, a, that's a pretty heavy one. I'd love to unpack that because I'm just, you know, it, it'll lead to another five hour conversation to say the least. Um, yeah. Uh, look, again, by no means my a psychiatrist or anybody, but I've unfortunately had enough of these interviews where I've, I've spoken to people and as have you, you know, there are other gold star spouses. I'm sure you guys have all shared a lot of these same emotions and everything else. Um, you know, but I, my heart breaks because you carry that burden around. Um, and, uh, as somebody who, you know, is just beginning the process of coming to grips with my own demons. Um, there's nothing anybody can do to fix me. It's a commitment I have to make on my own. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I, that's the only sort of piece of advice I can give you, um, that, you know, there is a sense of, uh, if you can't get to this spot and, you know, you talk about Chad being short with the kids, honestly, that was for me, the biggest impetus for me to, to buckle down and, and really start to address the things that, that, that are going on because I didn't want to pass it on to my kids, right? Like I didn't want to, mm -hmm. I didn't want my kids to be PTSD, uh, genetically from me. And so, um, but I, again, I say all this just to sort of provide you with a little bit of, um, perspective as somebody who goes through it that, I, I don't, as, as much as it is your burden and, and no one's going to take it away from you, it's not your fault. It may be a burden, but it's not your fault if there's a distinction to draw there. And to you, it may be a distinction without a difference, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I sit here and say it was my fault, but, you know, the whole line with them is you never leave a man behind, right? We right. never leave a man behind, not on my watch. I've got your six. These are the things we hear in the military world. And so coming from a military kid and a military spouse who took a lot of pride on supporting the people she loves that serve at the pleasure of our flag, the way I see it is when he came home, he, he was on my watch. It's my watch now. Um, it's my job to take care of you because you've taken care of us when you're gone. So I'm sorry if you can hear that beeping. I don't yeah, know how to turn ahead. this off. Um, I, I think that's what just sits with me is just, you know, I, I could have done better. You know, I could have been a bigger voice for him. We were very similar in a lot of ways, but we were very different in a lot of ways. He was pretty quiet and reserved. I can be pretty outspoken and I'm not afraid to like speak my truth. So in a lot of ways, maybe he needed me to be his voice. Maybe he needed me to be his advocate, but I can't do that if he doesn't share with me. So it's kind of this constant um, back and forth. And, you know, I think when someone goes through grief, when, when you're around someone that you love and care about, and I have family and friends, I have an amazing, amazing support structure I am surrounded by, and I'm incredibly grateful and humble for the people in my life. But what those people want ultimately is they want you to be better. So they want to kind of just 
polish everything up and they just want to see you be better. They want to see you move forward in life and be happy and do all those things. But I think in a weird twist, and and maybe this sounds really weird, but if someone tries to take away um, the guilt and the responsibility that I feel and I carry, it's almost like you've taken away the path of courage I've endured, if that makes sense. Nope, it's 100%. like, I want people to just 100%. almost honor the fact that, yep. man, you've been through this really serious thing and, and you're going to carry it. And well, it's, I mean, off. no, a hundred percent. And, and uh, let me see if I can translate it in a better term. It's almost insulting because now people are saying you've carried that burden for 20 years as a military spouse. You you can't do it anymore. Like, you know, you've done it for this long. Now, all of a sudden, you're not fit to do it anymore. No, you, you're, right. you're actually better trained for this than everybody else is. Right. You know? Well, yeah. And I think to your point, it's a little bit, you know, he, he had this title. He's a Navy SEAL for 20 years. What are my skills? What am I going to do? I was a Navy SEAL's wife for 20 years, 21 years. So now I'm not. And and that's another loss. So there's all secondary losses that happen. You know, right. you lose your spouse, you lose your job, you lose your community. And and now I see myself um I'm not a military spouse, I'm a widow. And I guess maybe I'm trying to use this platform to still be a supportive source in our community mm-hmm. and um to still do good. For I mean, him. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you mentioned how you felt like, for lack of a better term, the military didn't, the Navy did not do right by Chad as everything went down. Did they give you any information about anything that, anything that sort of at least provided some peace? Or have they still been around for you since he passed? I mean, what is your current relationship with the Navy and the SEALs, if any at all? Um, insight, no. And, you know, to that fact, and I've said this before, I don't think anybody could have saved Chad. Right. You know, in, in, uh, I, I don't think there's anybody that could have found a way at the right time to intervene and keep him from making that decision. Um, but I don't think I had to worry that long and sit around for 34 hours and wonder where he is. Um, In terms of closeness, I mean, no, not really. It's, um, it gets really complicated. Uh, Chad, no, I don't feel close to people. I don't feel close to work. Um, They've been there. I mean, there's really amazing organizations in place that do a lot of great, great work. And again, I'm incredibly grateful. And, um, but I think I, to be to, well, to be totally fair, I think what happens is, you know, it's a small bubble we live in. The SEAL community really isn't that big and they're kind of centered on two coasts. And and again, there's some guys that were friends of Chad and, and they reach out to me every once in a while, which I'm appreciative for. Uh, I have wonderful spouses that I'm friends with and the widows. I've learned a ton from from seasoned widows and how they carry themselves and who they are and how they've persevered. But to be honest, I think a lot of people look at someone like me who's lost their spouse to suicide. And I wonder if the guys 
think, oh my gosh, is that going to be me next? And I think the wives might look at me and think, am I going to be her next? And so there's probably a little fear there. Sure. Um, Square one more thing for me real quick. And and I just, uh, I'll ask one final question on then We'll we'll move on to the foundation and everything else. Uh, You just mentioned a moment ago, I don't think anybody could have saved Chad from making this decision. I know what you're going to (laughs) say. Why do you carry the guilt and the burden that you do? Um, I think it's just love, right? Sure. I mean, it's a fair response. You know, look for, for as, as passionately and deeply as we can love, it's a double edged sword because when something like this happens, it now cuts instead of heals. And so I understand that. I understand. But I just, you know, Um, again, sometimes, uh, you know, when I do these, when I talk to people and they don't even realize that they share conflicting sort of ideals, on opposite ends because it's so emotional, right? Like, I, I totally understand it. I just, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that, you know, I asked the question at least for your own sort of, you know, recognizance, which you clearly pointed out you, well, you were aware of. Yeah, and it ties it. I mean, like I said, I'm I'm not trying to be like uh, confusing, but there no, are, there's still parts of the story I haven't shared, and so Fair that enough. kind of ties into a little yep. bit of that. But. Fair enough. Um, you know, I'm sure that there's guys that he worked with that feel guilty. Uh-huh. I don't I don't know. They don't really talk to me about it, but maybe that's why they don't come around or say much to me. They feel guilty. Ever thought about calling um, him and asking him? I have called a couple. I have called a couple. Um and there's again, there's there's are is a small group that I feel like I could call up at any point and they would help me and you know, um I, it also is, is a little bit goes against me because as we've determined, I'm a military kid. And so I don't ask people for help ever. I moved my entire home. I sold our home and bought a home in January. I moved the entire home by myself. Well, you've had plenty of practice. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm just like, I just don't ask people for help. So, um, well, okay. Uh, Let's um, push forward here a little bit because it's two years and 11 months since all this has gone down. Um, and you already have a foundation set up. When did you know that you wanted to start to be an advocate, as you just mentioned, or try to help out other people? Um, I think when I get mad, <laughs> there was a point where I got really mad. Um, and I think it just happened organically, to be totally honest. Um, I was approached last year. My husband has a workout named after him. Uh, it's a thousand box step ups with a 45 pound pack. So he used to do this workout. He climbed mountains and he did this workout as he prepared to climb. The last mountain he went up was Aconcagua. It's the second highest summit. It's the highest summit in South America and Argentina. Um, and so he did these thousand step ups and I gave a speech at his funeral I, you know, in years when you think about the potential of your husband dying, the one thing I always knew is that if he should ever die, I would absolutely speak at his funeral. And I did. And I shared that story. And so it kind of just turned into its own workout. I was approached last year by GORUCK, a rucking company and the Navy SEAL Foundation to do this workout as a fundraiser. And my first response was nope. And uh, they said, okay, no problem. 
Was that note because I, of emotion or note because that workout sucks? It was a note because I didn't want anybody to have, I didn't want anybody to, um, you know, if you had Googled Chad Wilkinson prior to October 29, 2018, you would have never found up. He didn't exist. He scrubbed the internet. You couldn't find his picture, all of those things. And so it was really hard for me to think I'm going to put his face out there and we're going to do this workout and we're going to like talk about it. And, um, not because I was ashamed of my story. My story is my story. And I'm, in, I can still sit here and say, I'm incredibly proud of him. I am so proud of him. Um, but it was really just kind of me trying to honor and respect Chad. But as I thought about it a little bit longer, I realized that there was a real potential to maybe create some change in a conversation around veterans' mental health. And so we went forward and we did the workout for the first time last year. And that workout centers around Veterans Day. Um, typically, when people do these memorial workouts, they find that they fall on the anniversary of the person's death. And he did die the 29th of October, but we do it around Veterans Day because what I really want is I want to create a platform where we can help the veterans that are still here, that are still alive, that are still struggling. I feel um, really grateful that I can share stories about Chad and, and I do share what I know about his, his struggle and his symptoms. And when you love someone, all you want is for basically the rest of the world to know and love that person too. And that's great. However, Chad is not coming back, you know, and I, I want to use his story to have veterans talking and we did it last year. We really didn't have high expectations. It was a, it was a late rollout and we thought, let's just do this. And um, the response was pretty amazing and incredibly supportive community. It spanned the globe you know, people in India and Australia and the UK were doing it. Um, and so moving forward this year, we want to make it even bigger. And we're going to do it in, we call them live events. So we're going to do it in San Diego, New York City, Virginia Beach, Jacksonville, Florida, and Fort Pierce, Florida. But we also want people to do it wherever you feel comfortable. So do the workout in your home gym, do it in your driveway with your neighborhood friends. Um, and we really want people to come together and you're right. The workout, have you done the workout? No, said but it, it sucks. sounds like it sucks. I mean, it just, you know, uh, uh, it, 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 45 pound weight and a thousand, anything just sucks. Yeah. And he built up to it. So we do have a training plan on our website, okay. chad1000x.com. So check out the training plan. Don't do this cold turkey. You got to build up to it for sure. Cause he did. <laughs> um, but I think it's, it's a very, I like kind of the, if I can say poetic symbolism of the workout in the sense that it's not technical, it's a step up. Um, Anybody can do the workout. You can scale it. You can do less weight or no weight. You can do a lower box. But the idea that I'm going to continually step up and step down and not quit can be really a great metaphor for that mental struggle, too. Um, military or not, it, I think people in general, we all come to a point in life where we struggle and things are hard. And so it's a really good reminder during those thousand step ups to to go to that place and think about what hardships you have in your life 
and where have you struggled and or maybe what veteran do you know that might need your extra support right now? I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, how are the kids? Uh, my kids are amazing. Um, and I say that like they're amazing humans. I well, am, they have amazing parents. I Well, thank you. I'm constantly impressed by my children. I have learned so much from my children in the last three years. But they definitely have a hard time. Um, like I said, my son was 14. He had just started his freshman year of high school. My daughter was 17 starting her junior year of high school. So, you know, for anybody listening with kids that age, it's such a pivotal time in their life and just hard anyway. Um, and then to lose a parent that way, kids are not friendly. They're not nice and they weren't nice. And to also watch them struggle with, you know, who they are and who they want to be, um, at those ages, they're very, very aware of who is missing in their life. You know, they're not just missing like their dad. They're missing their dad, Chad. I realize it's getting really dark in here. Yeah. Can you see me okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. You're sort of a silhouette at this point, but uh, the know. sun is now setting in, in Coronado, California. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, they've each gone about it their own way. My daughter's pretty outspoken and she, like me, and she'll let me know when she's things aren't good. And my son is pretty quiet like him and... Um, kind of keeps everything inside. So I'm constantly kind of on this struggle. Um, if you have a parent who's taken their life to suicide, you are three times more likely to take your life, a child. Um, so, you know, we, we haven't gotten close to that, but I also feel like I'm constantly on the lookout for them. Mm -hmm. So do you want me to turn a light on? I'm not sure where I would do that. <laughs> it's Okay. Um, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, a, you know, a, a big concern. Um, and, and because your kids were so young for so much of Chad's military career, um, what do you tell them about what daddy did in the Navy? Oh, I mean, they know. They know? Um, okay. Oh, yeah, they know. I told this story. <laughs> I told this story, I think, at his funeral. But when my son Hudson was about five, Chad was going to be in Helos that day. And he said, hey, if you look outside around this time, you'll probably see us in Helos flying over. And I was taking Hudson to preschool and the helicopters flew over. And I said, Hudson, check out those helicopters. Um, dad's up there. And he responded and told me a little girl in his class, her dad was a police officer and he carried handcuffs. And I said, I laughed. I said, do you know what your dad does? And he sighed and he goes, ah, he's a Navy SEAL. He was pretty unimpressed. <laughs> so um, I think about that story from time to time. But what I love about it is that's exactly how Chad liked it to be. Right. He didn't want them to see him as anything different. He was just their dad. And that was it. Again, the website, chad1000x.com, if you want to go there for, uh, for more information. Also, you can obviously uh, you can donate there and look at all the partners and everything else. Um, I, I know each day for you is, is, you know, sometimes getting out of bed is clearly a struggle. But um, where are you in your healing? Man, I... That's the other thing. If I ever write this story out cover to cover, people will be amazed. Um, 
I've done just about everything you can think of to improve, increase my healing. I, I mean, you name it. I took a trip to Bali and I traveled around for 10 days. I got a pet pig at one point. I've been in therapy consistently. Um, I did a pretty intensive treatment in Tennessee um, with a therapist. I mean, the list is kind of never ending. And I feel like I'm in a pretty good spot um, in doing this workout and having a nonprofit and raising funds and and working with doctors that are researching blast injury and being a source for other spouses who reach out has really given me a lot of purpose sure. and it's hard. It's actually very, very hard. I feel like I should turn a, a light on so you can see me. I'm like literally a shadow. Do you, you want me can, to step away? I mean, you know, hold uh, on, hold on one second. I'm we'll not sure what's happening pause. in here. No idea where there's a light. There you go. Is that better? I'm sorry about that. Not my house. Um, You're back. It's really, yeah, I'm back. It's really given me a lot of purpose. And um, everybody walks this path of grief differently. I, I'm, a, I'm a doer by nature. I'm a, I'm just someone who does a lot of things and it's, it's definitely better for me to be very busy and using my voice this way than just sitting at home. Because when I sit around too long, then your mind kind of gets the best of you. And that's when the guilt and the shame and regret and all the questions kind of stick around a little too long. Um, so I'm doing okay. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Well, I mean, I would every day um, that you're still here is a win, right? I mean, it just is. Yeah. Um, and it's a win for your kids and it's a win for other spouses. And it's an opportunity for you to impact somebody else's life uh, in a manner that you might not have been aware. And you do that all in memory of Chad and with Chad in mind and with the love of Chad and that, you know, uh, is inspiring still. Uh, so for that, I commend you for, for just getting out of bed every day, putting your feet on the floor and standing up and breathing. Um, well, it, thanks. It can't ever, it'll never get easier. It just gets more tolerable if that's a, a better way to describe it. But yeah, as, yeah. as I said earlier, um, your grace is powerful. Your inner strength is beautiful. And, uh, I, I can't commend you enough for, um, carrying the burden and the rucksack that you have to carry every day um, and doing it for your children and for the memory of Chad and for all the other reasons that you have chosen to do it. And uh, for that, you know, I just uh, thank you for being so inspiring uh, and thank you for continuing to fight uh, for your family and for Chad and for everybody else. And, um, you know, I, I just continue to wish you nothing but success and luck and love uh, with everything that goes on and, 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 you know, more vicarious moments through your children and, and a blessed life for their, however you want it to be. Thank you. I, pre I appreciate that very much. It's no, very kind. It, uh, 
these these are always really really tough um, conversations to have. But you know, I, I hope there's some catharsis in it for you. I hope each time you tell a story about Chad, it gets a little bit easier. Um, you know, I don't know if it, it it'll get too emotional, but I'd ask you, what do you miss the most about him? Oh man, that's a big one. <laughs> um, now you're gonna make me cry. Well, <laughs> you know when you you lose a spouse, so you could only imagine. You know, you lose that significant other, and you lose that like romantic relationship. But he was my best friend. There's a whole lot that comes with that. That's all you need to say. You don't yeah. have to say anything more. Um, and, and you've, 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 you've painted just a, a wonderful picture of the relationship of the two of you had, I mean, from 13 year old kids to where you guys are now, um, you know, it's special, it's unique. It's certainly not common, <laughs> not yeah. in today's day, not, not the way we grew up, right? Like we're the same age, no. not the way we grew up. And coincidentally, my birthday is the day after yours. So, oh yeah. Yeah. Happy late birthday. Same Wasn't to you. Not long ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> and my cousin is born on September 1st. We're 36 hours apart. So we, oh, nice. we always joked around that we were twins, but, um, That's funny. you know, uh, it, I forget where I was going that I got on this birthday thing, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it's, it's amazing that, uh, you know, you continue to, to put forth, uh, what you're putting forth every day. And, and, um, you know, I, again, I, I know you miss him terribly. And so for that, you know, there aren't any words, but we just, again, continue to wish you the best of luck. So, uh, I can say, you know, thank you so much for your time and having this conversation with us because it is so important. Um, and more, most importantly, to keep Chad's memory alive, you know, that uh, we, we've talked so much about the end of Afghanistan and things being in vain. Um, and not that uh, anything Chad did was in vain, but, you know, his memory being kept alive, I think, is the most important thing. Because yeah. for everyone else, it's easy to forget. We go about our daily lives. We go about whatever is next. And, uh, you know, for you and your family, whatever is next isn't with him. And that's always going to be a, a, a source of pain and understandably so. Um, but, uh, you know, keeping his memory alive is the best thing that we can do. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you so much so. for your time. Sarah Wilkinson, thank you for being part of the Hazard Ground. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, guys. You've been listening to Kill Cliff's Hazard Ground podcast, hosted by Mark Zeno. If you have an interesting story to tell, and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at producer at hazardground.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.